In this episode, we learn how a diagnosis did not lead to the predicted outcome on two occasions, how 600 miles became a way to relax, and how Sandy went from managing 50,000 to 300 square feet, that is. Join us. The sponsor of today's episode is Pivot 2.0, Another Shift is Coming, a virtual women's summit. On Saturday, April 17th, join us for an engaging interactive summit that will prepare you for the next season of your life. Visit theheightening.com to register today. Welcome to The Heightening, a place for those who are answering the call of God to fulfill God's purpose in their lives. We are women who are being elevated to a level of intentionality and empowerment to lead the life we were created to live. Please welcome our host, Yolanda Caldwell. Welcome to this episode of The Heightening. Today, I want to introduce you to a woman that I met that I am so impressed by. We had a casual encounter and we have developed a friendship. And I'm excited to introduce you, everyone, to Sandy Brooks. Sandy Brooks began her career as a legal recruiter and now she is a retired legal administrator. She spent her career caring for the atmosphere of her firm, which had over a hundred attorneys at a time. She was responsible for renovating space, designing new space, and planning, organizing smooth transition to new spaces. And for those of you who know me, you know organizing is my thing. So I am so happy to have this conversation with Sandy. Sandy is also an avid, avid bike rider. And she also enjoys reading and serving with nonprofit organizations. And one other thing that Sandy and I have that's in common is we both like to color. Sandy, welcome to The Heightening. Thanks, Yolanda. I'm really pleased to be here. And I'm so happy that I met you several months ago. I know. Sandy is one of my COVID friends. We met over the internet. at an event that I host called Colorful Conversations. And Sandy has been such a joy participating in those conversations. She has educated me on some things and ladies of the heightening, she's gonna educate us today. So I am so happy that she's here. So Sandy, I do have a question for you. Legal administrator, responsible for speed, started off as a legal recruiter. How did you find that? Was that something that you always wanted to do? Absolutely not. <laughs> I, absolutely not. But I'm really thrilled that I did it. It was a ab- wonderful, wonderful career. I um, I was planning on going to college after high school and wanted to be probably an interior designer because that was in my family. And at the age of 16, as a junior in high school, I was diagnosed with lupus erythematosus. 
And at that point, my parents um, were told that the chances for me to live were relatively small. And so that was at 16, and now I'm 76, going on 77. So I've had quite a few years to do several things, and um, my middle name is Resiliency. So I've I been, I've been empowered. Um, I was raised in the Reformed Church in America, where I gained a very strong faith in God, and um, have had a really difficult and wonderful life which I'm excited to tell you about. Listen, I love it. Your middle name is Resiliency. I could not imagine someone telling me at 16 that my days were like officially numbered. We all know that, you know, we are going to pass away, but for someone to actually give you some kind of a time frame. How did that impact your your mindset and how you went forward? Well, at that point, I was very ill and I went into the hospital. Um, The initial diagnosis for me when I went to the doctor, I couldn't walk. And he said, you must Mm -hmm. have arthritis. I lived in a very small town in Iowa. So I I went home and then I was going to go back to the drugstore to get my prescription. And before I did, the doctor called me and said, don't take that. And so he sent me to a larger hospital where I was diagnosed. And then I ended up going to um, the University of Iowa Hospital where I spent some time. And um, I was very ill and spent several months at home, kind of lost some things, I think, in high school. I was disappointed because I had been in the band and I wanted to do outside marching. And as many people know, if you have lupus, um, the sun is not your friend. So it was disappointing. Um, I had a high school boyfriend. And by the time I um, was a senior, I was feeling really quite good. And so the two of us talked to my parents and we decided to get married. Um, I did go to, um, I didn't go to college, but I went to a a small school in Omaha, Nebraska to learn how to type and do all that kind of stuff. So by then, you know, it's kind of resiliency from coming back from, oh, my gosh, you're going to die. But you think about it every day. And so you live your life to the best. And then it goes on from there. It's interesting. I thank you for sharing that, because while some people could have taken that news to hold them back, you actually seem to have found some type of a freedom in that news in that you enjoy each day. I did. And I think to this day, um, there are very few days that go by that I'm not grateful that I'm alive. I wonder why God wants me here. (laughs) And sometimes I probably figured that out, but um, to carry you a little bit more into the lupus story, I did get married when I was 19 years old and after a year after I was out of high school. And then um, the doctor had said to me, if you guys decide that you want children, please let me know. So this was really probably harder than learning I was going to die. Um, We went to the doctor and said, "Um, we want a child. And he said, you can't have one. It's going to kill you if you do, which was really, really hard for me to hear because 
in those days, it was important for me to be a wife and a mother. And a career wasn't really in my sight at that point in time. So I did get pregnant, um, much to everybody else's sadness. And at three months, I lost the baby and I ended up in the hospital again in Iowa City for three months. Again, being told I wasn't going to live. Sandy, um, thank you. Thank you for for sharing that. I'm sure that um, many people will find some strength in your story because you bounced back from from that from that loss. And and that is a that's a painful loss. Um, I've suffered a miscarriage before, so multiple. So I, I understand understand that loss um yet you kept going you kept going I did one of one of the things that I was um gifted with um I after I lost the baby and spent three months in the hospital I kept going back to Iowa City for checkups and at one point the doctors told me that there was someone in the hospital who had just been diagnosed with lupus And since I was now 25 years old and had survived that long, maybe I could talk to her. And so I developed a relationship with this woman and said, you know, don't give up. Just don't give up. And um, she didn't give up. And we we shared um, Christmas cards and stuff for about maybe 10 years. And to this day, I don't know what happened to her, but we would just write each other every year and say, hey, we're here another year. Isn't that great? And that was a gift that I was giving or blessed with, I could say, um, that I could help somebody else through that journey also. Yeah. Now, something that, that's very interesting, you, you've, you have lupus, but you also are an avid cycler. Now, I am. <laughs> yeah, so... Now, for some of us, you know, taking a bike ride is, you know, maybe a two, three, maybe four or five miles. How many miles do you ride when you take your trips? Well, um, I'm going to take you back just a little bit to go back to your initial question. Um, Once I... At about 30, I was really in remission. And so I moved to Denver, Colorado. And I remember standing on the corner and looking up at these high buildings after living in a town of 1,000 people going, what am I going to do? And I was hired by a law firm to help them recruit their attorneys. And um, I, I grew from there. But then to go to bicycling, the days of sunscreen... <laughs> You know, there wasn't any sunscreen when I was originally diagnosed. So I was feeling great, and I decided um, that I really wanted to do some bicycling. So the first time I went on a bike ride, I thought I had ridden 10 miles. I was so exhausted, and then I found out I had gone one mile. (laughs) But I kept (laughs) pedaling. I kept pedaling, and then I, um, several years later, I did what's called Ragbri, which is in Iowa, and it's the newspaper in Iowa is the Des Moines Register. So it's called the the Register's Great Bike Ride Across Iowa, and it goes okay. from the Missouri River to the Mississippi. It's a seven-day ride, and you ride anywhere between 450 and 500 miles. 
So to prepare for that, you should really ride about a thousand miles to prepare for it. So there were years when I put in 1,500 to 2,000 miles. I did that ride 12 times. Sandy. And I'm still here. Last summer, yeah, last summer I rode 600 miles just to do some riding. I'm speechless. I, I, you know, (laughs) that, that is amazing. I cannot imagine the beauty you see when you're riding. It's really fun. And, and my job at that point in time was extremely stressful. I called myself a nanny for lawyers and you don't say no ever. So you had to get things done. And so I worked because I didn't have a college degree, I really had the urge to prove to them I could do this. So I worked a lot of hours in that law firm. And when I went on my bike ride, you just saw cornfields and 10,000 people who were also doing that ride. And there's food everywhere. And so I was able to eat tons. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. It, it's interesting how sometimes we, because we feel that we lack something, how we that spurs us to work even harder in another area to strengthen that. And hearing you share your story about how you created a career when at some point in time you didn't even think you were going to be here, how you still found a way to create a very rewarding career for yourself and have a hobby that, you know, for those who Um, have been diagnosed with lupus, the fact that you can ride a bike and ride a bike for 600 miles, that is, that's miraculous. I feel very good about that. And um, the doctor who originally diagnosed me lived in a town in Iowa. And so every year when I got done with my ride, I would call him and say, I did it again. And, (laughs) And I am, you know, I think, again, the resiliency thing comes in because I took chances. Um, I took chances because I wanted to live life the way I wanted to live it and not afraid of death. Um, Can't be because I was told twice that I wasn't going to live. So every day is really just a new journey for me. You know what, Sandy, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, I want to hear more about your resiliency, your courage to live an authentic, intentional and empowered life. We'll be right back. The sponsor of today's episode is the Heightening Self-Care Kit. There are over 120 tips and a journal to support you on your journey to self-care. Visit theheightening.com to order your kit today. Before the break, Sandy was telling us about her resiliency and how she has created a life when others told her that she was not going to live. And a part of that life she created is she managed space for a law firm, a law firm that had over 100 lawyers. So we could imagine how much space that is that she had to manage. So, Sandy, you went from managing. I'm not going to guess how many square feet. Can you give me an estimate? What's, what's like the largest square foot building you had to manage in terms of space? Oh, there was the 
probably the largest space was five floors, probably 10,000 feet on each floor. So 50,000 square feet. 50, That's my guess. 000, yeah, 50,000 square feet. That's a lot of space. So my understanding now, you are managing space still, but it's a little smaller. How much space are you managing now? <laughs> I am now intentionally living in 280 square feet. And 280 square feet? I also have a little tiny garage in that square feet, in that square footage, and that's about 20 square feet. So we could say I'm living in 300 square feet. I have a bedroom that I can stand up in. I have a living room. I have a little area for my office. I have a kitchen and I have a bathroom. Ladies. Sandy lives in a tiny house and we are so excited to talk about this 300 square feet. I heard you say you have a living room, an office, your bedroom, your kitchen and a garage. I do. And my garage stores clothes that I don't wear in the season and a few other keepsakes that I just couldn't get rid of when I moved into this wonderful tiny space in Durango, Colorado. So Sandy, tell us, why did you choose a tiny space? I chose a tiny space because I, I want to be independent at this age. Mm -hmm. I want to be financially independent at this age. I want a small footstep in this age, and I wanted a small community so that if something happened to me, I didn't have children, as I said, and I do have a very close relationship with my niece and nephew, my sister's children. My sister died when she was 50, and so I have become kind of a surrogate mother with them, but I don't really feel that... Um, I want them to have to take care of me unless it's absolutely necessary. So I now do have financial um, freedom. I have freedom to travel if I want to do that. I live in a wonderful community. And my house is exactly what I want. I feel comforted in this house. I feel, um, I feel like it's like a large tent. It doesn't look like a large tent, but I feel like it's surrounding me with love. You know, for it's hard for me to imagine um, <laughs> making that choice. Now, I, I had an incident during the pandemic in which I had to quarantine. And I chose to quarantine in my office rather than ask other people in my house to, you know, find space and relocate my husband out of the master bedroom. So I literally lived in my office for um, 12 days. And it was very interesting um, for everything to be like right here in this, like you like this space. Tell me, you, you told me the joys, the joys of being financially independent the ability to travel. Um, tell us about your community because I, you, we've shared and talked before, 
even though you're in this tiny space, you're still part of a larger community. So tell us how that works. I think I'm very fortunate because when I had my tiny home built by a craftsperson, um, I not a lot of states allow tiny homes. And so I had to find a place that I could take my tiny home. And Durango was that choice. There was a gentleman here that wanted to do something um, for people that was affordable. And so he built this community. And I think that we all took a chance in moving into this community. But this is a community for people who really wanted the same things that I do. So ages range from probably in the mid-20s to me, <laughs> almost 77. We have couples living here. We have um, a family with two children living here. Um, some single women, several single women. Um, most of them very professional people, an engineer, an interior designer, two counselors, a retired doctor's administrator. And we all help each other. And that's exactly what I wanted because there are some things that I've decided I shouldn't do anymore. And okay. so um, I have a propane tank in my tiny home. And so it's very heavy. And one of my neighbors said, can I help you with that? And I said, sure. And so I feel as though we've developed, we have little fires in the middle of the street in, and um, little parties and sit around and talk to each other. I live right next to a river in the mountains. It's beautiful. Mm. And we all get along very well and care about each other. And a lot of the people living here um, do part-time, not really part-time, they own this home and it's their, their address. But they'll take a weekend or a week or something and go off and venture. And during the pandemic, it was wonderful because we all, um, we could go outside and stand outside and be totally distanced from each other. Um, mm -hmm. So I didn't miss anything socially with that. It, it's a wonderful, wonderful community. That is amazing. So when someone is considering downsizing, what are some of the things they should think about? First of all, they need to decide to be a minimalist. Okay. Because tiny homes, it, it's like I have um, four plates and four bowls and a few more glasses, silverware enough. Um, I used to have a lot of artwork, but I had to get rid of most of it. So I took pictures on my phone of my artwork so I could remember it. Um, and then you have to think about making your tiny home um, like a house. You need to have good insulation. You need to, if you're going to live in it for a long time, um, you need to get good windows. I have actual wood on my floor. Um, you nice. need to think about cost. You need to think about where you want to be in a community with people that are like-minded um, you need to be prepared, basically, to live with less. You know, I think, Sandy, a lot of times we are consumers because of what society tells us we need mm -hmm. to do. We need to have this. You need to have that to be to be valued. This is how you show your worth by the things that you have around you. Um, tell us or help individuals understand how 
you still, um, let's see, how do I want to say this? How material things don't make you valuable, how you found that peace. They don't. And I will tell you that I earned a great salary when I was working. Um, I have lived in a house that was almost 3,000 square feet that was full of beautiful furniture, plants, and artwork. And after I retired, um, I think that I decided that those things weren't important to me anymore. Mm -hmm. I wanted to really live a life of love is the first word that comes to my mind. And um, in a tiny home, you don't really spend a lot of money because like I can go to Target, but if I don't need anything, maybe groceries or something like that, but don't look in any other aisles because I have no place to put it. And I'm, a, I, I'm somewhat, I'm OCD about things. And so I try to keep things neat. And that makes me a little bit more of a minimalist. But every one of us here have found that when we moved in, we thought we got rid of a lot of things. And yet, every time a season rolls around, we get rid of more. <laughs> because we find that we just don't need those things. So I have appropriate pans. I have a Gen Air that is a microwave and an oven. I have a dishwasher. I spoiled myself. Most people don't have a dishwasher <laughs> in a tiny home. But I spoiled myself because I hate washing dishes. And um, I enjoy not feeling like I have to go out and buy something to make an impression on somebody or to make an impression on myself or fulfill some of the wants and needs that I have because I don't have those wants and needs anymore. I think that part of it is in my age. But we have people here who are 24 years old. So they also have those same feelings. I think it's um, I remember when we used to do some financial advising my husband and I for for couples and we came across this article one time talking about the cost of maintenance and how much we we spend just to maintain stuff yeah how much money we spend and how much time we spend to maintain um, not to enjoy it not to, you know, better, but just to maintain it. It is, it is amazing when you sit down. My expenses today, um, I could very easily live on my Social Security. And that was another thing that I thought, I have money in the bank, but um, I don't know how long that's going to last me. And so I can live on my Social Security very easily. And I pay, um, last month, my utility bill was $66 and I live in the mountains and, and it was March and it was cold here. And I fill a propane tank for $17 every six months. Mm -hmm. And you just have less space and less maintenance. Um, I, I do have a nice patio outside of my home where people can come and visit. And that has been really wonderful. But I, I had a house before I moved in here and the maintenance on that was horrific. So now it's, it's, it's so simple. It's just so simple. It's a great life. It gives you a lot of freedom. You know, I look forward to, um, I say it often, but I am looking forward to downsizing and really spending my time, like doing some of the things that I can enjoy more time having life experiences 
-hmm. and not maintaining material. I, I am learning to, to be able to spend time by myself and read books, color, sing in the choir. I enjoy my neighbors. Um, Colorado's a beautiful state, as you know, and so we take day trips to um, places in Colorado that are beautiful. And I have a dog and I walk her every day on the path along the river. And those are the things that, and I, and I spend time with my family, which I also enjoy. We spend time together that is now more valuable to me than it was before because I was a workaholic. And this helps you not be that. Don't have to mow the lawn. It's great. So I want to kind of wrap up talking about one thing that we both love, and that's colorful conversations. I love colorful conversations. <laughs> it gives me so much peace, Yolanda. And you're such a beautiful person, and you direct that group so beautifully. And that's another community that I feel like just works. It just works. And I, I am so peaceful when I attend color, color, colorful conversations. I'm so peaceful and I love it. And I, it's next Sunday, right? Yes, it is. It is next I Sunday. Can't I can't wait. Um, it's, how can I say it, Sandy? Um, I started it because I needed to connect with something that I loved to do. And I wanted to find that community. And I can't believe that we actually have created a community. There are some of us that come every month. Um, we, you know, we hold it once a month on the third Sunday. And we come together and the encouragement that that we have and how we're able to connect on so many different levels and we have great conversation <laughs> i remember the sunday that there was someone there from russia and yeah. there are people there from the uk around the world it's it's just a wonderful time in my month yes yeah, so sandy i want to thank you for um, being a part of my life and developing this friendship that we have. And I love the fact that when we communicate, you are so willing to share. You are a very caring woman. And I have really rethought some of the things that I had planned to do based on meeting you and understanding the value that comes with making decisions sometimes in the face of news that isn't um, isn't the best. I've listened to you and how you share from your heart. And that's why I wanted to share you with more than just our community at Colorful Conversations, but I wanted to share you with others because you're, you are such a bright, caring, and wonderful woman. And it is a pleasure to have met you. Well, thanks, Yolanda. You are a gift to me also. And there are just a couple things that I have really um, valued 
over the last year and you're one of them without question. So I'm looking forward to more colorful conversations and more conversations with you. Wonderful. Ladies of the heightening, I am so happy to introduce you to my friend, Sandy Brooks, who is going to continue to teach us wonderful ways on how to live our lives courageously, live our lives authentically, intentionally, and empowered. She shared with us how choosing to be a minimalist has given her the ability to live an empowered life. And that's what we all want, an authentic, intentional, and empowered life. So thank you, Sandy, for sharing your story. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Please visit us at www.theheightening.com.